0: This is Top Landing Gear. Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear Full Flaps and our full-length interview with retired Air Vice Marshal Graham Williams. His incredibly full life as a frontline RAF fighter pilot and test pilot means he's flown an extraordinary number and mixture of aircraft types during a fascinating period for aircraft development, but also during some very uncertain times, not just for Britain's armed forces, but for the world as a whole. His book, Rhapsody in Blue, is all about his life as an RAF fighter pilot during the Cold War, during which one of his many highlights was flying the brand new Harrier in the 1969 Daily Mail Air Eventually, he took up an appointment with the MOD in Whitehall, where his responsibilities included advising on the procurement programme for Britain's air defences. What he fails to mention in his excellent book is that he was twice a recipient of the Air Force Cross and a winner of the Harmon Trophy. More on that in a moment, but first we're delighted, and a little nervous I have to say, to <laughs> welcome the most senior person by rank that we've ever had on the podcast, Air Vice Marshal Graham Williams. Graham, what do we call you, Sir?
1: Just call me Graham. We'll do. It. Oh, and Graham, if you're, ne- if you're nervous, so am I. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> that's rather reassuring. Graham, we'll put you at your ease. Let me just introduce you to the team first of all. I'm Rob Curling. We've spoken a bit over the phone. We've got Roy Stride here, who's a pop star with the band Scouting for Girls. I'm I sure agree, you're yeah. aware of their
2: work. I loved the book, rhapsody in Blue. I've just finished. I, I have to say, I'm. A, Massive fan of it. Brilliant.
0: It is. It's a cracking read. There's Jez Curling here. He's my brother. He's an agricultural fencer. It takes a bit of explaining. And we've got James Cartner, former RAF pilot. Hello. Not quite as successful as you, though, Graham. (laughs)
3: Yeah, as I joined in the year you retired as well. I joined in 91, and you might have noticed I've not made it to Chief of Defence Staff. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's been a slightly flatter uh, sort of progression for me, but I'm uh, still here. (laughs) Oh, there's a a joke in there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. But, Graham, do tell me, the... We've been concentrating in the past few weeks on the Daily Mail air race. Obviously, the Harrier was a huge star in that race because it was brand new on the scene. You were one of the two pilots to fly it during the race. What was your view at the time of introducing the Harrier to a worldwide public quite so publicly when it was so new and untested?
1: I thought it was madness. LAUGHTER right, right. I actually did say. I mean, I remember having a conversation with Tom Lecky Thompson, the two of us just before it all happened, saying, "If we both get away with this, we'll be bloody lucky." <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was how I felt about it. I, I didn't think. I mean, can you imagine it happening today? Mm. Uh, an aircraft un, untested. Uh, um, uh, brand new, over the big cities, New York, London, mm. landing mm. in the middle. I mean, it's um, inconceivable.
0: Yeah, mm. and in fact, that had never been done before, had it? The, the delivery of the Harrier oh. into central London, landing in the coal yard at St Pancras, is the first time a jet aircraft had done that. Then when it arrived in New York, the first time it had, it had a jet had landed in the middle of a city. But if you thought it was su- such a mad idea, why were the likes of the RAF and the government and Hawker Sidley, who built the Harrier, so keen? Because it, in, a, in many ways, it was a recipe for disaster.
1: I d- yes, I don't think Hawkers, Hawkers weren't very keen. <laughs> uh, I think they were, they were somewhat ambivalent about it. Mm. Uh, and, but once the decision had been made to go, they supported it fully, but they
3: were somewhat reluctant. Who, who made the decision, with. Graham? Who was the actual person who said, yes, this is going to go ahead? I have, no, I don't know to this day.
1: <laughs> um, I know who started the suggestion. He's no longer with us. He was a wing commander at the time.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think actually, because it was such a new aeroplane and such a new concept, mm. there was a certain amount of ignorance about it.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, there were one or two fast-talking gentlemen uh, <laughs> who... who uh, managed to persuade the management that it was a good idea and in fact in the end it was a good
5: mm. idea graham do you think it was a little bit of the fact that um well the fleet air am i doing it we're jolly well going to put an aircraft up as well and we've got a nice new shiny one
1: <laughs> no no there was nothing to do with that i mean i i was i was barely aware of fleet air Arm prior to the whole thing it, it, we were sort of focused on the harrier and getting that ready uh The what you don't know is that the U.S. Air Force, of course, were going to enter the race, Mm. uh, and they they would have wiped the floor with everybody because they were going to enter a team of B-58 hustlers. If you remember, that was a supersonic bomber Mm -hmm. at the time. But they decided, in the end, that because of the state of the Vietnam War, it was a bad thing politically to be seen to be... uh, um, taking part in such a light heart, light heart adventure. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and Graham, for you, I mean, it uh, added pressure in a way in that initially you were the standby pilot. Tom and one other uh, pilot uh, were due. Were Mike, sort of, Adams. Mike Adams uh, was due to, to take part in the race. He had an accident, didn't he? A taxiing accident, actually, at Dunsfold, sheared off his yeah, nose they, wheel. Didn't
1: I- the nose wheel sheared off at Dunsfold and, and did his back in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you then got called in. You had, at that stage, very little time on the Harrier and, in fact, not enough time to compete.
1: I had, I think, when it all happened, I had about 15 hours on the aeroplane, mm. which is nothing. No. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and what happened was I think the Air Force board said, Well, yes, he can can compete as long as he does 50 hours uh, before the actual race. Well, what they didn't know was we had to do all the air-to-air refuelling
0: tests and all the rest of it, Uh, and with seven-hour trips, it didn't take long to get the 50 hours. (laughs) But that in itself was very interesting because there wasn't a spare Harrier for you to practice your air-to-air refuelling. I think you were at Boscombe Down at the time. And weren't you phoning? You were phoning around other parts of the airfield to see if anyone had a a Uh, spare aircraft you could borrow.
1: Yeah, it was quite funny because I'd I'd not done any flight refuelling ever before. Goodness! In any
3: way. Oh my goodness! A a recipe for fun, isn't it? (laughs) Well, I'd miss that. Uh, This sounds like a recipe for fun. You've you've not flown the Harrier. You've not done any refuelling. Take one across the Atlantic, would you? (laughs) In a race.
1: Well, I hadn't done any flight refuelling, so I thought, well, I'd better do some flight refuelling. Uh, and we had all sorts of airplanes on, on the squadron at Boscombe, but none of the ones with a probe were serviceable. <laughs> uh, and so, in the end, I rang the Navy. Oh dear! Down the road, in, in the other, <laughs> they had a Navy test squadron in those days, and I rang them, and I can I can remember it to this day. Uh, I rang them and I said, "You've got anything down there with a probe on it?" <laughs> And the guy at the other end of the phone said, Yes, old boy. He said, We've got a scimitar. <laughs> out here. Like, oh, Christ, I haven't flown one of them. Oh, he said, Don't worry, just pop, pop down, get you uh, sorted out. And I popped down, and literally an hour later, I'm airborne in the scimitar, doing air to air refueling off a Sea Vixen
0: tanker. <laughs> That's, from the open. And you'd never uh, flown this aircraft amazing. before. That's absolutely extraordinary. No. You couldn't get away with that in this day and age, could you? <laughs>
1: Oh, you. Well, I, I, you could barely get away with it in those days.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was your What was your rank at this time? Were you a flight lieutenant, or had you become I a squadron? No, I was
1: a squadron leader.
0: Yeah, so you had a bit of authority. You, you had a bit of sway. Yeah, I, uh, sort of. Yeah, uh, that that is a, that's an extraordinary. Mm. So the preparation was one thing. So you got your fifty hours. And then, yep. you already knew Tom Necky Thompson pretty well, I think, during your time in the RAF.
1: Well, we were both on the uh, fighter test squadron at, at uh, Boscombe. Right. Uh, I was, I was actually the senior pilot
0: mm.
1: of the squadron. i.e. that's the sort of deputy squadron commander, if you like, the mm. number two, the exec officer.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Uh, and, and Tom was the project pilot for the uh, for the Harrier.
0: Yeah. So you flew out to New York. One of the Harriers had already been delivered to New York. You flew out, I think, by yeah. Tom. Tom flew out
1: uh, with a, as a test run uh, about I don't know about ten days before the whole event. And pre-positioned the aircraft at uh, Floyd Bennett, which is an airfield just I think it's just on the edge of uh, Long Island, isn't it? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, just across the East River.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yes, so that would be the aircraft that you flew back from New York to accident. to London. Yes, uh, which I, that aircraft I, is now at Tangmere, I think, isn't it? Tangmere Museum. Yes, yes. isn't to that the museum? Isn't yes. that lovely? Tangmere, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you then flew out by commercial airline to New York, and Tom took the yep. Harrier, and he got the winning time for the London to New York leg. Fantastic. Yeah, and
1: he he got the winning time. I forgot what it is now, but.
0: Yeah, six eleven, I think. Absolutely, and then he then obviously had to hair up to the top of the Empire State Building. You were then met. I think you did all the interviews in front of the Harrier with the TV crews, and then had to get into that Harrier to take it to the uh, to the Air Force Base. Tell us, tell us what condition. Yes, tell us what condition the cockpit was in if you can remember.
1: Well, I, I, I mean, because I, I had no idea about this. Uh, Coal Yard in St Pancras I'd, <laughs> I'd not actually seen it uh, and when I climbed in this aeroplane it was filthy <laughs> I mean it was so dust all over the goddamn
4: place I, I
1: couldn't believe it. I, I, what has he been doing
4: because
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I had no idea and it wasn't until much late when uh, uh, I talked to him that evening I said you know what well, hell." And he said, oh, you should have seen the coal dust in that bloody coal yard. Uh, And that's what it was.
0: Amazing it didn't affect the the Pegasus jet engine. I mean, that would have been a nightmare for it, wouldn't it, if it ingested some of that stuff?
1: Oh, I don't, sir. It's like uh, many of those things. It has a sort of cleaning effect. It it doesn't really affect it. Oh, really? Uh, Coal dust wouldn't affect it.
0: Oh, Right. Uh, but it performed brilliantly, apparently, the Harrier. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what, what a it, test it was for yeah.
3: And, and uh, we've had a, a Navy chap on here who said basically the Harrier was plugged into the Victor the whole way across. <laughs> Would you like to dispute that, uh, uh, that fact?
1: A, a slight exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we didn't have long-range tanks in those no. days. Uh, and I think I had to flight refuel... Six times, actually. The yeah. map I used is is on my wall oh, here. Really. Oh, hi. Uh, um,
4: and
0: it was six times I refueled. But oh, were the? Yeah, it, like. it, it was six times, Graham. And was were the tankers actually with you the whole time? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well letting them get out of the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it made the navigation a lot easier. Because
4: yes, <laughs> yes.
0: yes. your Harrier wasn't brilliantly kitted out with that stuff, was it? With no, it was age. one of the basic
1: ones. that didn't have any inertial kit in it or anything else. And only had a standby instrument panel.
0: Yeah, And, and of course, that was yeah.
1: the when I took off. The weather in New York was appalling. Yeah. Uh, it was absolutely appalling. It was pouring down with rain uh it was so bad that uh, unusually uh jfk was closed goodness which was only just up the road yeah yeah I, i've uh, seen the, the whole of the East coast was softened.
5: i've seen the footage of you uh arriving i think is it in an e-type
1: jag or something and it sort of slides across the, yeah, the jag yeah, Jaguar were very kind to me. They gave me this E type Jaguar to, to go around in. And yeah. I said, God damn it, I'll kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please give me something else. And so they ended up they gave they still gave us the E type, but I didn't use it. They gave me something called an Austin America. Oh, which right. was actually the old Austin eleven hundred, do you oh, well, Yes. Well, not quite as
3: glamorous. No, not quite <laughs> as glamorous. I think we'd have taken the E type to be fair. Huh? <laughs>
1: yeah. I, but it was, <laughs> yeah, well, I had a, I had a sort of an uncharacteristic uh, bout of sense. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and, well done. <laughs> Probably saved your life. And, but I did use it for going from the tower to the, uh, from the Empire State to yeah. the Linning. And
5: it uh, is, it is, it is torrential rain, isn't it? It yeah. is.
0: <laughs> well, it is. Yes. Wasn't there a, a, an American official who was talking to I think Bill Bedford, who'd been the, the chief test pilot?: Yes, he was he Bill kept him in the tent because he was trying to stop stop us
1: going, <laughs> you know it was. Not on. So he said, no, 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 no. Uh, but Bill got him in inside this tent that was on the landing pad yeah. and kept him there until suddenly he heard the engine winding up. And came <laughs> 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 out. No, hey! That's
0: mean. amazing. I just uh, love this. And didn't? But didn't you um, get a little bit of payback because you're straight up into cloud and then didn't all your instruments fail? Yeah,
1: well, the. the The artificial horizon toppled. Oh. Uh, So I actually flew on turn and slip. Nice. uh, Which you modern guys probably wouldn't understand.
3: (laughs) James, Uh, I have flown on turn and slip in a chipmunk a long time ago, (laughs) so I know exactly what it's like. (laughs) Tell us what (laughs) we have. have no idea what you're talking about. No, Tell us what you mean. So the artificial horizon is what basically tells you which way up you are. Yeah. The turn and slip just is a, it shows you what you're doing. So if you can keep your turn and slip, all in the middle, yeah. then you're, you're straight and level. But that's, it's, a, it's a performance. It's not a, you don't set your attitude by it. You do something and see what it does. So <laughs> it's, it's, quite, a, it's yeah. quite tricky.
0: And so you had to do that the yeah. entire way across the Atlantic? No, no, because, in fact, what, what had happened was I'd been so quick hmm.
1: Into hmm. The, and starting up and, and taking off that the artificial horizon hadn't actually spun up properly. Right, right. And so as soon as I accelerated out,
0: it toppled. Got you. I understand. Uh, which which made my whole day. I thought
5: saw- <laughs> <laughs> Have to come back with your tail between your legs. <laughs> oh,
0: a
3: technical term for which I apologize. <laughs> but you, you re erected it, as we say, and then um carried on from yes.
1: there. Yes. When when I got I uh, dropped it was solid all the way solid Uh, cloud up to thirty-eight thousand feet wow good i came up the top like a bloody cork (laughs) 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 and and leveled it off
3: and re uh, re re-erected the artificial horizon it worked all the way and then how did you find the first (laughs) how did you find the first victor after that what 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 was your navigation Uh, i didn't have any uh well there was the
1: radar of course which Mm. was helpful uh New York Wood Center were very good. Uh, I had air to air TACAN. Oh yeah, right. So, so I could lock on, and I knew how far the tanker was away. Mm. Uh, but you don't get any direction out no. of that. You just get a, you just a break range. if you're getting
3: it. closer or further away.
1: Uh, mm. <laughs> but fortunately, uh, the the DR was such. To, uh, I ended up, and I looked out, and there was the tanker. Brilliant. He was trailing in the top of cloud. <laughs> nice. and I just got a glimpse of it and I thought, "Oh." Yeah. <laughs> I was quick on to him. Oh, can brilliant. you can you if you were following the
5: victors all the way, were you be were you able to speed match with a victor? I mean, are you not a lot quicker than a victor?
1: Yeah. We were we were cruising at 0.88. Okay. All the way. Yeah. which okay. uh, you you might find surprising, but we hmm. we were at 0.88 and that was the speed of the victors too right wow. oh, so nicely matched and did you have to slow down to refuel no really we refueled at feet 0. 0.88 wow golly Impressive. for the first time
0: yeah for the first <laughs> time in a harrier i mean it's just incredible isn't it no i had i had actually done that before i'd left <laughs> you. Uh, yeah. Graham, before <laughs> we go any further across the pond i just want to take you back to new york because during your few days there with Tom, there was another great moment with the arrival on its maiden oh, okay. voyage of the QE2. We were we were in a pub, as you do, uh, of course downtown
1: New York. You know, and how the pubs in or the bars in in New York or in the states have always got a TV on. Mm. Uh, and we were sitting there having a pint of beer, and I can remember what it was. It was R- Watney's Red Barrel. It was horrible,
3: because <laughs> it was not it doesn't, it doesn't have very good legs uh, the Watney's, does it? <laughs> uh,
1: and anyway, we, we're sitting there, and on the news it comes about the QE2 doing its uh, maiden maiden voyage uh, into New York and arriving the following day. We said, you know, Christ Almighty, we're not going to be upstaged by these <laughs> maritime now. Uh, what can we do? And we thought, well, what we'll do is as it comes into New York, we'll, we'll actually formate either side of the bridge and hover either side of the bridge. Of the ship's bridge? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and we got clearance and all the rest of it uh, quite easily. And then there was the question of, should we ask London whether we should do this? And I thought to myself, oh, God, uh, the answer will be no. Uh, <laughs> and it's much easier to ask for forgiveness after the event. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Especially if it's successful, I might add. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so we ignored that. <laughs> and, uh, and we did form eight the side of the bridge.
0: Obviously, of, awesome. of QE2, as it came up, the uh, Verzahn and Neres. It was a little harder than you expected it to be, though. Wasn't there a hideous crosswind blowing? Oh, a hideous. It was a
1: hideous, 40-knot crosswind. Yeah. And, uh, and it was coming from slightly behind, too, which made the decelerated transmission, uh, transition
3: very tricky. And the Harriers um, don't like crosswind in the hover, do they? No the I
1: can't remember what the limit is. No, I think mm. it's 15 knots
0: crossing. Mm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 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 was it, was How the many key? rules have you broken so far? <laughs> Most of them. That's great. We love this. Uh, this is, is what key. I loved
2: about Graham's book. Yeah. But I, I wrote a note. I've completely defaced it because I was writing so many notes. I was enjoying it so much. I think it was at page 60. I wrote this is the fifth time he's escaped death. <laughs> <laughs> and that was by page 60. <laughs> that was before, way before we even get to the air race. Oh.
0: But it was, it was a great moment. And and it was, the RAF obviously got to hear about it very quickly. And didn't some senior officer, rather than tear off a strip because permission wasn't given, he claimed, oh, he, he claimed it, didn't he? He? Claimed, he, claimed it. he claimed it was
1: his idea. <laughs> I was, I never, you know, to be fair... I don't know whether he did that to cover my backside <laughs> or whether he was just claim, claiming it because it was a successful event. Yeah, yeah. I've
0: not. Well, what a moment to be British in New York and <laughs> seeing that happen. QE2 flanked by two Harriers, oh, the newest yeah. aircraft on the block. I mean, what a moment. It's brilliant. It's yeah, fabulous. It's so back up over the Atlantic, uh, Graham. you've had your, your first refueling. You're, you're in convoy now with these with these victors was it pretty plain sailing once you got up there? yeah, it was actually uh, it is worth mentioning that
1: the 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 victor tankers were tremendous
4: mm. uh,
1: they really were i mean there was I had three tankers uh on and when we got over Newfoundland, three more tankers appeared <laughs> uh, and refueled each other. Yeah, uh, and then I went on with the three. In fact, I lost one halfway. He went unserviceable, so he disappeared. Yeah. So I only ended up with two tankers. Oh, disappointing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when, when you talk about the number of refuelings, of course, when you get to the middle of the Atlantic, you have to do very short top-ups. Yeah. Uh, or, uh, three or four short top-ups to make sure you've got an, always got enough fuel. To reach a, uh, an ultimate, yeah, right. Which is why you have ended up with six refuelling.
0: Goodness mm. me! And and the, fact, the, the, I had seven re- scheduled, but I didn't bother with the last one. Oh, you didn't. You didn't think you needed it. I didn't need it. So coming into London, then uh, Graham, you you came in pretty fast. You, you aimed for Alexandra Palace, I think, as as a, a good, easy to spot uh, landmark. I have to say, I. Having, having uh, had the bad
1: weather in New York, I had the the good fortune as to when I arrived over London. It was the clearest day I have ever seen over the UK. <laughs> oh. It had just had a thunderstorm about mm. an hour before I arrived, and you know how it keeps the dust down and everything mm. else. And the visibility you could see for miles, yeah. absolute miles, and I could see Ali Pali. From oh sort Sixth of 30, 40 miles out. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. And I
1: just pointed straight at Ali Pali, six hundred knots, round <laughs> the corner at Ali
4: Pali,
0: oh, down wow. the railway. And there and there, surprise, surprise, was St. Pancras. Okay. <laughs> you came in a bit fast, didn't you?
1: Six hundred knots.
0: No, but no, no.
3: You
0: try landing at six hundred
3: <laughs> knots. <and I> said, <laughs>
1: I nearly forgot to uh, decelerate. Yes. I'm, I'm so relieved, you know, to see some bangers. I thought, oh, Christ, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, there's the landing pad. And then suddenly thought, oh, shoot, I've got to slow down here. <laughs> And I, I did the, one of the fastest decelerating
0: transitions I've ever done. <laughs> How amazing. Well, it was <laughs> a race. Well, that's true. Yeah. And then Roy's favourite moment, the whole thing, which we saw on the video, you very kindly I, don't,
2: I if it couldn't get any more rock and roll was when I I think it's the, the most incredible way I've ever seen anybody get out of an aircraft of all time the way you hanging off the probe did you did you yeah. so basically if you watch the if you watch the video Graham leaps out of the cockpit yeah. and swings on the fuel probe, <laughs> like, like Tarzan, <laughs> onto the floor and then legs it. Did you, did you plan that or was it just in the heat of the moment? No, I think it was sort of just seemed a natural thing to do. <laughs>
5: <laughs> uh, it's brilliant.
2: It was the easiest way out. Yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure there are a couple of men in white coats running towards the hangar with a ladder <laughs> yes. for you to get out. You just barge them out. Oh, the I way. couldn't wait for them. No, exactly,
3: exactly. And now you would normally have expected
2: being the um,
3: the west to east participant to have beaten uh, Tom Lecky Thompson's time, but the weather just wasn't with you that day, was it? The I, winds weren't I, there.
1: No, I well, I. I I was faster than he. I was five hours fifty, I think, or just under, mm. from the top of the tower, top of the Empire State to the top of the GPO Tower. Yeah, uh, but of course the Phantom was cheated by going supersonic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I hope Definitely cheating.
1: They didn't compete uh, going east-west either. No, no they didn't. They, didn't no. they couldn't make it.
3: Uh, ah, we did. We did point out to them they they were relying on RAF uh, tankers to make their fleet air arm crossing.
0: Sea and tanker wouldn't have done much good. I don't think. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> true. But Graham, I think you were unlucky, weren't you? In New York, didn't you get held up at every single set of traffic lights after uh, leaving yeah. the tower? Yeah, I, I curse
1: that E-type Jaguar. No, <laughs> well, it was a combination of the weather and the E-type Jaguar uh, motorbike would have been much better. Yeah, not. But you know, that was irrelevant as far as I was concerned. Mm. It, it was something we did. We completed it. Uh, and and it was a showcase for for harrier and for the UK.
0: Mm. Yeah, it truly was. And certainly this side of the pond the harrier became an instant celebrity, didn't it? As did you and Tom. Yeah. What about uh, the other side of the Atlantic? I mean, how important was that race in terms of securing the harrier's future both at home and as an export?
1: I I I think it
0: it, it played a part for sure uh
1: in terms I mean we were supported by the marine Corps the marine Corps actually put down the pad for us mm-hmm. uh in in new york um but i'm sure it had a it had a bearing on on the on the acquisition of, of the Harriet in the u s but i can't say exactly yeah. what
5: yeah so graham you you said at the beginning that you thought the whole venture was madness did you Actually, looked back in it and thought it was terrific fun. Did you enjoy it?
1: Oh, of course, I did. Mm. It was it was the greatest fun. I mean, mm. it, you know, here we are, fifty years later, still talking
5: yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, Rob doesn't uh, talk about uh, anything else.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he's, I, I he's just, just upset. I miss you, that thing.
3: Rob doesn't talk about anything else. He's just upset you didn't go to Wisley oh. where he was at school watching all the other airplanes. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: very true. Every, everything else came into Wisley where I was at school, Graham, <laughs> so I saw all the Phantoms and the Victors and the VC-10s. But, but, Graham, this is just one of your stories of a, a career in aviation where you've kindly listed your aircraft types flown in the back of the book. It, it's, a, it's a list as long as your arm of practically every Cold War Jet Fighter, and more besides.
2: I'm going to read them. I'm just going to... Just the Jets. Vampire, two versions. Meteor, Jet Provost, Hunter, every version. Seahawk, (laughs) Javelin, Canberra, Lightning, every version, I think. Sea Vixen, Scimitar, Short, Harrier, Phantom, Jaguar, Buccaneer, Nat, Hawk. And that's just the one aircraft flown as captain jets not including the pistons the helicopters the turboprops it's like starfighter on the other page it's incredible one uh, eleven, f18 f15 i mean and everything F- and everything we've just spoken about in terms of the daily air race which we've dedicated almost a month to yeah <laughs> <laughs> top landing gear, takes well, up it's the smallest story. chapter in this book of yours it's such an incredible career you had amazing
1: well i i actually count myself privileged to have done this i it's not very often that you uh, you get to go through life doing a job you absolutely loved, enjoyed, mm. and everything else. And, and there's barely a moment in that whole 37 years, I think it was, that I regret. In fact, I don't think there is a moment that I regret. Mm. It was a wonderful life. And that's why I called the book Rhapsody in Blue. Mm.
0: Yeah, lovely.
2: <laughs> and, the, and the book, I just think, is absolutely true it's just such a joyful account of not only of the flying but also of the fun you had (laughs) outside of the flying
1: we did have a bit of fun
2: (laughs) but there's (laughs) almost like i'm my background is i have been in a like a rock band pop rock band for the last 15 years i
1: understand they have a bit of fun every (laughs) now and
4: again
2: but but I, i i actually wrote down that this actually reads like a rock and roll memoir with the added danger of test flying the fastest, most powerful jet aircraft. <laughs> because there are some proper rock and roll stories of the oh, antics man. that went, went on, you know, as you traveled well, the world.
1: I didn't get involved in any of that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> didn't smoke funny things
0: Um, (laughs) but they are they're great stories um i mean obviously if you're in the forces generally you're moving around the place and i know there were endless changes of decision for your postings which caused havoc with your your home life and your poor wife having to you know pack up and then realize that you weren't going to where you thought you were going to go but I, i guess that's forces life but I, what your biggest posting was probably Germany, was it, Graham? Was it was that? Yeah. You know, in terms of your, I mean, that was obviously right in the front line I, I of the Cold War.
4: You, you,
1: yeah, you go in. You when you go into the test pilot world, often as not, you sort of remain in that world, uh, and you don't sort of come out to the front line again. I did. I was very fortunate. I came out and commanded a Harrier squadron yeah. in Germany. And I, that really was. Uh, I suppose of all the tours, I had, that was probably the biggest highlight, the, the one I enjoyed the most.
4: Mm. Uh, really? Why? Why was uh, that? You know, you,
1: well, in a squadron, you know everybody—the ground crew, the whole lot. You know a lot. There's, there's only about two hundred of you at, at most, so you know everybody. It's a close-knit community. Uh, You work together, uh, and it's a a team, and it's it's an enjoyable team, usually, anyway. Mm. Uh, In my case, it certainly was. Uh, When you get to something like commanding a big station like Bruggen uh, with four Jaguar squadrons and all the rest of it, you know, there's 3,000 people.
4: Mm. Mm. uh,
1: And it's not quite so... um, Mm. Easy to, to manage. It, it's, it's, it's a lot of people you're yeah. talking about. Uh, and, and I didn't enjoy it quite as much as I enjoyed commanding a did squadron.
3: You, did you find you could put your personal stamp on a squadron? Probably easier than you could on a station. Yeah. You,
1: you know, in those days, uh, was the biggest station in the Air Force. Yeah. Mm.
0: Now, I'm very interested to get your thoughts on the Jaguar. Um, how good or otherwise an aircraft was it? It doesn't seem to have ended its career sort of glowing with, with praise, but how did you find it as an operational aircraft? Well, I you, you said, funny enough, I mean, it wasn't the greatest performing
1: aeroplane in the world. I, mean, I think as I put on one of the captions in the book, you know, the fact... It, it's untrue that it relies on the curvature of the earth to get airborne, <laughs> uh, but it is—it is—it was underpowered, and even when it was up-engined after I after my time, mm. it was still underpowered, mm. and it had you know didn't have that wonder aid to turn called wing. Mm. Uh, so, but having said all that, it did go quite a long way. It did its role. And actually I would have been comfortable going to war in that airplane. Would you?
3: I mean it certainly it, it seemed yeah. to quit itself quite well in the Gulf. Uh in Gulf War One. yeah, it did. Um, when it it did everything that seemed to be asked of it. Um when yeah, thinking it did. particularly in single seat, you haven't got a the, spare pair of eyes.
1: To make the coffee and carry the napkin. Yeah, that's right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, Graham, but you quick crack on there.
2: (laughs) I did like the story where you were were talking, uh, you were flying and there was a navigator who got quite annoyed with you carrying your own map. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. That
1: was on the bucket head. Yeah. I mean, I I couldn't break the habit of a lifetime. I I do not get airborne in an aeroplane without my own map. Absolutely.
3: Uh,
1: And he was very
3: upset <laughs> <laughs> i do remember a uh a friend of mine who ended up going harriers and he we, we was, was down at Chivena and we we're in the hawk and um it's the first time you're introduced to navigators for those that are going to go the, the to the two-seat route <laughs> and um during the takeoff he started calling out the speeds <laughs> and <laughs> the, the, my friend of the pilot's reply was I've got a gauge that's saying exactly what you're saying in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I need you? <laughs> <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> but I, I must say, navigators are some of the, the best um, mates I've had in the Air Force. I've, totally. I've been ma- navigators. And I've, I've, a couple of times, I've really actually, they've really helped me out of a lot of trouble. So I'm never going to slag navigators off. Again. They're all, again. again. <laughs> yeah. Yes, after this.
5: <laughs> Graham, I've not got quite as far, because I'm a very slow reader, not got quite as far through the uh, book as as I, i'm <laughs> as the others but i am just i think getting towards uh the end of your story of your your three ship hunter trip down to i can't think where it was now aiden. aiden uh and you've you've just discovered that the the civilian pilot taking the uh the uh, tr9 <laughs> oh is an al- <laughs> alcoholic. I, uh, I, you know, it's the most extraordinary we story. Going, we, Could you enlighten us a little more? That
1: was a <laughs> it was a trip to Singapore. Singapore, Singapore yes, that was it, yep. Uh, it was a very We took, uh, I led the last section of uh, of, of a 20-squad of which were reforming with hunters in Singapore. I took the last section, their two-seater uh, uh, uh Single seater, a Mark Nine, and then the Navy joined with a T eight Hunter. These that's, are all that's hunters.
5: that's the, that's T eight, uh,
1: yeah. And the Navy in those days, their ferry outfit—I can't remember—it was, I think, it was run by Shorts actually, uh, and it was somewhere in Kent. I can't remember where, but anyway, they did all the ferry of all the Navy aircraft around the place, and they decided that they were going to come on this trip. Uh, uh, and they looked around their lot for the youngest pilot they had because they are all a bit ancient, these guys, <laughs> they're all civilians. Uh, and we had this guy who, was na- who should be nameless. And it took us a long time to... Uh, get- he wasn't really the sharpest thing on two legs. And we we couldn't understand... And it wasn't until we got to Bangkok, uh, and Tony, my uh, the other Air Force guy, flying the Mark Nine, uh, we were sitting in the crew bus, waiting for the uh, waiting for this guy, and uh, I said, oh, go and wait. Go and pull him out in the morning. Go and pull him out." And he went back into the hotel, went to get him. he was still getting up and he was drinking whiskey out of his toothbrush mug at five o'clock in the morning and Tony came back he said hey he's an alcoholic he said and I said oh Christ that's not all I need (laughs) Uh, anyway we uh uh, and this he was obviously in no fit state to fly um, we had a slight at the airport. In the end, we downed tools and decided to stay the weekend in Bangkok, which was not a bad decision, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to spend the weekend somewhere, hmm. Bangkok's not, a bad place. not bad I gather the uh,
5: the, the, the senior aircraft, uh, senior um, RAF uh, colleague you were taking down with you was annoyed because he missed his game of golf <laughs> in Singapore.
1: Yeah, he did. I had this passenger in the right-hand seat. Uh, he, he was very good, actually. He didn't interfere At all. He he was there for the beer, I think, (laughs) Uh, to escape the the uh, duties of a staff officer at fighter command anyway yes he was with
5: me i i love this story because not only have you got a, uh, a this this poor chap who's obviously got some issues
1: not only i think he also
5: says he hadn't he wasn't very good at formation flying he hadn't <laughs> no he didn't really want to go he hadn't wasn't familiar with the hunter never refueled <laughs> well, we've and, heard that before uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Yes. and the whole thing was sort of slightly cobbled together and if there's one thing i've learned since we've been doing this podcast When you talk about the RAF or British military generally, we're bloody good at just cobbling things together. (laughs) And we almost always seem to come out smelling of roses. It's
1: incredible. So well done. I love this story. Recovering from the ensuing shambles. Yes. Correct. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
2: But I think it's in the same trip where they're talking about cobbling things together. And this is like a recurring theme, I think, in the book. is about how often these state-of-the-art jets are being patched up in <laughs> yeah. the most hodgepodge way like i think you're in karachi and the air pump falls out of the hunter <laughs>
1: no, no the fuel yeah we lost the fuel pump yeah uh, uh, in fact it was it was in this uh, this guy's navy t8 that, mm. that lost the fuel pump uh, and of course he did Nothing but retire to his room and his bottle of scotch. (laughs) Uh,
3: Great, great plan in my book.
1: Tony and I I got underneath the airplane and and took the whole thing apart uh, and took the pump out uh, and sent off for a new pump. And I I couldn't, when I got this package back, I'd got this bloody great thing out of of the tank, of the tank. And this fuel pump came back, and it was about a quarter of the size. And I thought, bloody hell, uh,
4: is it the right thing?
1: And when I looked at it, I, we'd taken the base plate off the front tank, off the collector tank. Mm-hmm. We'd taken the base plate off it, which, of course, is something you never do from the time the airplane is built. No. No. Uh, <laughs> and of course, now I have no seal. <laughs> oh, uh, so I went borrowed a, a, a great big tube of, you know, sticky stuff mm-hmm. from uh, Massive, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: Bostic, yeah, stick, yeah. <laughs> uh, and tighten the bloody nuts and put replace the pump, wired it up, tighten nuts up, refueled the airplane, didn't leak. And we thought, well, hell, you know, it's only it's only the Navy's aeroplane so what more uh, <laughs> uh, I love it you, you probably wouldn't do that these days no, no you wouldn't
0: no. I don't think we'd do anything of what we've heard so far in this interview these days it wouldn't be alone. but uh, Graham on that subject you are full of praise for your senior engineer I think you said you were blessed uh, with, with a terrific engineer I'm, on your blessed,
4: team.
1: I'm blessed twice with with engineers once in Aden, a guy by the name of Owen who was a flying officer, uh, and he was it was a brilliant engineer because we were at the end of a supply line out in Aden, mm. uh, and we had some horrendous uh, um, shortages of spares and all the rest of it, but nevertheless he kept us flying. Mm. Uh, he stretched things a bit every now and again, and there's a story in the book that mm. he he gets gets me into trouble uh, <laughs> by having an argument with his wing commander engineer um, at, at Bahrain but he was tremendous and then there was uh, my engineer when I was CEO of a squadron he was brilliant Yeah, never turned a hair when I used to say
0: to him oh, I want 12 tomorrow okay, what 12 but, service, uh, serviceable aircraft you mean out of 12 yeah out of 12 yeah yeah <laughs> You know, he might moan a little bit, but not much. But he made it. He um, made it. He made it happen. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He really and, and absolutely Graham, what, brilliant. What was Aiden like for you as a frontline pilot? That that kept you pretty busy. What in the ground attack role was it in the Hunter? Yeah, mainly, we did air defence,
1: but mainly ground attack. Yeah, it was. It, it was actually. You know, bear, dare I say, it, it was an actually very enjoyable time, mm. one way or the other. It mm. was, it was a nice place with Aiden. It's mm. yeah. bit of a bit of a pit now, I think, but, uh, <laughs> but it was not a bad place to
0: be. But you were actually okay. doing the stuff that you were trained to do then. I mean, you you were really yes. operating yes, we were. to your full potential.
4: Yes,
1: we we, we were we were as it were, on active service one way or the other.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Graham, was, was the Cold War a, <laughs> good uh, a good time to be flying?
1: Any time's a good time to be flying. It's a much
5: better answer than my question was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're getting at. I, I'm not sure I can answer that, but any better than that. I, I think uh, starting uh, from,
3: from, from being in the RAF after the Cold War, I think during the Cold War you knew where the enemy was and you knew what your job was. In Germany, we were very focused. We knew yeah. exactly what we were doing, what we were meant to
1: be doing, and all the rest of it.
3: Yeah, and we kind of lost That's our good. way in in ninety one. From from ninety one onwards, sort of saying, "Well, what are we here for? What do we do?" And we, you know, we found a new role, if you like, in the world. And
5: well, I was um, thinking also that just the number of types of aircraft that were available to you to fly, uh, there seems to be far fewer now.
1: Yeah, there's far fewer in the air force. Mm. Uh, I mean, I look at the numbers these days and it's uh, really, uh, some of the things are going on. And and I thank my lucky stars. I was in the
0: Air Force time I was. Well, Uh, precisely. But, Graham, much of that time, of course, was spent flying the Hawker Hunter, which I I think I detect from your book as possibly your favourite of all aircraft. Actually, uh, yes, but the Harrier has a very uh uh soft spot in my heart really. good yeah. good. glad to hear it both hawker that's all right
3: and did, yes. did you <laughs> did you see the harrier from the what well, eventually became the GR1 up to was it the GR5 when you left or had it were you still at the GR3 no, stage no
1: was the GR1 when i <laughs> yeah. when i finally stopped flying harriers right
3: uh, cuz i mean it, no. it evolved certainly the harrier 2 the the GR5 the GR7 and 9 was just an amazing amazing bit of a bit of aircraft
1: oh um, it was a very capable. It became a very, very capable aeroplane, mm. uh, the GR7, GR9. Mm. And in fact, I never could understand the uh, decision. Well, I've, I know to uh, keep the Tornado on and and throw out the Harriers mm.
4: mm-hmm. because
1: in many ways the Harrier had a better capability and was certainly a much younger airframe. Uh, mm.
4: yeah.
1: uh, didn't have that guy in the back seat either yeah.
2: <laughs> what, what was it what was it like to fly graham because i in the book you were saying that one of your tasks was to uh was converting other pilots to the harrier which fortunately not too frequently it was nearly always a very stressful occupation why was it so difficult to f- to convert people because
1: uh, it was it, it was i i personally didn't find it difficult tom didn't find it difficult uh, and most of the guys that flew it didn't find it that difficult. Occasionally people did. Um, you know, it takes a bit of...
4: <laughs>
1: I don't I'm not quite sure, but to to bring this fast jet to the hover, it takes a bit of uh, getting used to, Yeah. shall yeah. we say. Um, but I didn't like doing teaching people to fly the thing. We didn't have a two-seater. And, and there were one or two that came through our hands and we didn't do it very often who certainly should never have been flying the thing
4: yeah.
1: uh, and, uh, one guy I can remember in particular who we converted on the thing and I thanked my lucky
2: stars when he went away and he hadn't killed
1: himself or <laughs> crashed
3: he sound like one of my <laughs> flying instructors
1: well
2: we, we interviewed Jim Schofield who flies the Spitfires down at Boltbin he was a test pilot for the F-35 and flew the Harriers and he said that you know he was full of praise for the F-35 and he said he just felt the Harrier was just always trying to kill him (laughs) if that was his words it's like you had to be so on top of the Harrier and I don't know whether that's just looking at it from the perspective of a brand new aircraft you know with all the technology you have now compared to what it was like back then but uh did you find it difficult to fly
1: I I didn't uh... I can't really go along with that. I mean, I know something about F 35, too, because I worked for Lockheed for 10 years. Gosh, yeah. Uh, um, after I'd left the Air Force. Uh, and uh, I did, uh, so I flew in the simulator and the F-35 and all the rest of it. And, of course, it is all automated and it is, it is much easier to fly, although it's more complex with systems and all the rest of it. Um, but it's much easier to fly than the harrier yeah. but the harrier wasn't difficult i don't think it was difficult
0: mm. uh,
1: graham another a very pleasant air-
0: yeah another aircraft you mentioned that could also have gone on for far longer in service if only it had been allowed enough updates was the glorious old buccaneer which
4: Absolutely. you also flew
0: yeah well what are your thoughts on the buccaneer and 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 what it could have well, achieved well i always thought I always thought the bu- the Buccaneer uh, was a typical Navy
1: aeroplane, you know, built like a brick-built, what's it?
0: Uh, <laughs> we know, yeah. Uh,
1: outhouse you know is the word, I mean. Outhouse. Yes.
0: <laughs> outhouse. No, I,
1: that's the word I was looking for. Um, it was, it, yeah, it was a, it's a, a lovely aeroplane fly. It. You know, it's got an internal bomb bay um quite capable big, fairly big load good range uh and all the rest of it. It, it the only thing that let it down was a, was the avionics in the end which mm. were were ar- archaic mm. um, they were no better than a hunter in in yeah. in, in effect uh, they had no systems in it whatsoever
0: but that could have been changed uh, um, that could have been updated
1: it Could have been updated, and we went through all that terrible business of going for the uh, what was it? The F F-11? um, 111? F 111, that's thank you. Uh, going for the F 111 and then going for something else. TSR2,
0: I think, it was
3: it? Was it was up there?
0: Well, TSR2 was cancelled first, then the F 111 came F-11. up as an option, and then yeah. I think they stuck with the Buccaneer until the Phantom then came in. I think, I mean, I'm cutting a few corners here, but
1: no, do you, but you're, you're right. But but the air force was never behind the buccaneer. It, it, I, I think it suffered from being a navy airplane. Mm. <laughs> uh, were, well, that that's true. You know, the, their airships in the in those days didn't like to be taking on a navy airplane. Mm. And the other thing was, I think in the sixties, late sixties, we were besotted we with the fact it had to be supersonic. Mm. Uh, yeah. uh, and it wasn't supersonic. It was transonic, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it, it went up to about six fifty knots and then yeah. stopped. Uh, <laughs> but but it was but it used to go like uh, really, uh, it was a goer, mm. and it was a very nice, comfortable airplane to be in. Yes, yeah, another aircraft that acquitted itself
3: really well in the Gulf. I mean, uh, yeah, it was in yeah. the Gulf War. It was, you know, again, they didn't lose any, and everything it did, it, it, it was wonderful. The, the laser. Uh, bombing and everything—it was um, how old? How old was the Buccaneer by the time it got to the Gulf?
0: That was its last oh, foray, wasn't it? 30? It Must have been thirty years old. Thirty years um, old, and that did the laser guiding for the Jaguars, didn't it? And uh, for everyone, yeah, for everybody. Yes, yeah. they, well, they,
1: they did the designating for
0: designating, for, that's it. yeah. Uh, for, with it, the, with their laser pods, yes, yeah. And on the subject of supersonic, the aircraft that seems to attract. Still more excitement than almost any other. Graham is the English Electric Lightning, which none of the guys around the table, apart from myself, have ever seen fly. Yeah. You yeah. flew one. I know they had a pitifully short endurance, but the story of the Lightning is is, I mean, it's unique, really, isn't it? I would have said so. Yes, with one engine on
1: top of the other. I can't think of any other <laughs> airplane like that. <laughs> 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 Uh, and how many degrees of sweep was it? Sixty, 60 odd, odd I, think. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think it's the most. Well, I don't know. The Delta Dagger was probably that sort of sweep. Um But anyway, yes. It, but it was a nice aeroplane to fly, uh, mm. despite all that. It was actually a very pleasant aeroplane to fly.
0: And just moving on towards the the, the end of your uh, flying career, you got to fly all sorts of things still. I know you flew an SE-5A, an original from World War I, and the Sea Fury. There is only one SE-5A uh,
1: flying, mm-hmm. um, original one, uh, and it used to always be at Farnborough, yeah. uh, Royal Aircraft Establishment. Uh, but it, in fact, it's now, that aeroplane is now at the Shuttleworth correction, mm-hmm. Collection, yeah. isn't it?
4: Yeah. In
0: fact, I know it is because I delivered it there. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> How lovely. Oh, what a th- the uh, responsibility of flying that, because all your other aircraft, there were a lot of them around, I'd, weren't they? You had a lot of spares. Yeah. I I thought if I'd
1: crashed that, I would be, you know, hung out to dry. How
3: yeah. did you manage to keep up on the navigation on that trip? Because obviously you're, you're not <laughs> quite used to those speeds, I would imagine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. I went from field to... From forced landing field to force <laughs> landing field, <laughs> <laughs> up, up round the north of London and uh, round to bed and all the rest of it. Lovely. Graham, you've not you've not said much
0: about helicopters. Uh, so far, I wonder where they. they, say, they no, uh, we, we have oh, a helicopter pilot this is, here. Yeah. This chap didn't quite get through his fast jet course at the RAF uh, Graham. We didn't tell you that, yeah. James.
3: They they they, they short course me straight to the Harrier course, but they they made me do the hovering bit for about uh, fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> so I I was of the uh, the vintage of flying um the the mighty Puma, and the Wessex. So the Wessex first, obviously, and then uh, the Puma. So. Um, it's, uh, a lot of hovering, but not so, not in the transition to supersonic flight or <laughs> transonic flight. The,
1: the helicopters, they're, they're nasty, oily, smelly. A <laughs> 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 bit like their pilots. Ooh, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, but you did,
0: always, you, you did fly a gazelle, didn't you? Which is a lovely helicopter. The, the gazelle you flew, you said it was like a sports car.
1: Oh, gazelle. Yes. I, I actually, yes, I just.
3: I I, think oh, That's rather I see,
1: right <laughs> My own view is that if, if uh, that helicopter flying is probably some of the greatest you can have uh, when I say fun <laughs> the thing about being in the helicopter force certainly in my day was that they went off on their own uh, they did their thing uh, they were left to do their own thing they were responsible for their own Sorting themselves out in the field, uh, and, and they had uh, you know quite a lot of responsibility. A young guy in a helicopter force, um, and it was great fun, uh, and they, they achieved great things. Don't, I uh, <laughs> don't, uh, don't, let him, don't let him get too. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm not listening, girl. I'm not listening. You
4: talk, say <laughs>
1: But no, I, I actually regard it as probably uh, probably uh,
0: it's probably it's second best to flying fast jets.
4: Mm.
0: Oh, well said. Well said. Very good. Graham, we, we've probably taken up far too much of your time, but I would just like to take up a little bit more, if that's OK. Just your move to Whitehall, uh, it was inevitable that the, the flying was going to have to come to an end, and you became so senior. you You became the Air Vice Marshal with your... Air Force Cross. Um, and you were very much involved in, in the difficult decision of what to do with the Nimrod, which was causing everybody a oh. huge headache.
1: Yes, I, I arrived in MOD, uh, and uh, my boss at the time, who, strange enough, was Mike Adams, who'd been the Harrier pilot. Who, yes. Uh, was back. Yeah. Who'd fallen out of the air race. Yeah.
4: Uh,
1: Mike Adams said to me, he said, that should gravely. Uh, the controller aircraft, who was uh, David Harcourt-Smith, uh, needs wants you to do a job for him, and I've said you couldn't go and do it. So, and that was a completely different part of MOD. So I went down, and he said, "I want you to do this assessment of the uh, uh, of the Nimrod versus the E three versus the what was the E two the Hawkeye E the Hawkeye yes." Uh, uh, and I had to do the technical assessment of that. Um, I mean, I knew squat all about radars,
4: really. <laughs> um, but,
1: but I got a team together. And, and I, of course, having been just come from Boscombe, uh, I knew quite a lot of people. And, and I actually avoided using guys from the RSRE at Malvern because they had a vested interest in 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 the uh, in, in the Nimrod, mm-hmm. and I got a team together. Mainly, the technical side came from Boscombe, mm-hmm. uh, and we did that assessment. And we came to the conclusion at the end of the day that the Nimrod was never going to make it, and we'd be pouring money—good uh, money after bad—that it was a waste of time. Unfortunately, I mean, it's one of the few times where that decision
0: was taken to scrub it.
1: Yeah. It was a very hard decision.
0: Well, the, the pressure is always to try and support British industry by buying British, but you you had detected that, that this just was never going to go anywhere.
1: It was it was never going to meet the actual technical requirements and, and performance. It was never going to do it,
0: No, ever. And then we had the same problem with the Nimrod R4 later on further down the line, didn't we? Uh, yeah, well, comes... that was
1: for a different reason. Mm. I mean, I, I never could understand that. It was after my time, actually. I uh-huh.
4: think. Yes, mm.
1: it was after my time. But I never could understand that. You know, anybody who's ever refurbished vintage motor cars knows bloody well <laughs> that it's going to cost twice as much at the end of the day. <laughs> and it certainly won't perform as well as a, as a new sort of Golf, Volkswagen Golf. <laughs> yes. So what do we do? We take a vintage aeroplane. <laughs> I mean, a Comet. Yeah. Uh, refurbish it after God knows how many years uh, and try and. Uh, it was madness, mm, absolute yeah. madness. Yeah. I I think, mm, yeah. and I said so at the time. But uh,
0: yeah, and you were also involved with the Typhoon which from drawing board to coming to fruition was something around 40 years, which you make the very good point that it, this procurement process, because of politics as much as anything else, is, slows everything down so much that by the time these aircraft come into service, they're obsolete. But I suppose that's a, probably a global phenomenon anyway, isn't it?
1: I think it probably is. I think it probably is. It takes so long, everybody... They're so expensive these days. I mean, mm. I dread to think, Walter, well, what's the price of an F 35? Do we know? Ooh. James?
3: Uh, we're in the sort of oh, 50, 60 million, I think. I think you're
1: under. I, I, oh, maybe. I'll take a bet. It's over 100 million. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: Each. $122 yeah. million. Dollars Good research. The F
0: 35B. Mm. Yeah, wow. Goodness me. Yeah. i love have yeah. two. and and do you think Graham I mean this is it's a ridiculous question really but I wonder had things been different in the 50s and the Sands white paper hadn't happened do you think come the 70s and the 80s we'd still have a properly competitive British aircraft industry and you wouldn't have had the problems that you did have in having to ultimately go overseas I'm not sure I can answer that I mean how long's a piece of string yeah uh
1: I, you know
0: But we I did have know. a very very I, strong aircraft industry and it was it was kind of just decimated absolutely. wasn't it by politics, by the politicians
1: Yeah, well uh, uh, Sands was uh, in his I mean I joined just at the time of the Sand. well i, I joined my first squad just as Sands did, decided that there were going to be no more aeroplanes. I yes. thought, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't, didn't work out. But uh, um, I don't know. It certainly didn't help.
3: No, no. But I couldn't, I couldn't really comment on that. Did, no. did you know of Alan Pollock at the time and his um, little yes, adventure? Yes, I knew Al Pollock. I know, I know him extremely well. Uh, He's become a friend of the podcast, Graham. Um, From from the rest of the Air Force's point of view, was it was he well supported in what he did, or um, would did anyone think he's he'd gone a bit too far? I I think he just went over the edge, didn't he? Really,
1: I I don't think he got widely supported. He certainly wasn't condemned by the rest of his mates.
3: No, no.
0: Uh, uh, But uh, I mean, Al is Alf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we love Alan and we love his story. We think it's fantastic. As as is yours, Graham. Graham, you finished off with the RAF Regiment as Commandant of the RAF Regiment, which was a strange posting, but one you actually loved. You said it it taught you so much yes. or reminded you so much about so many of the values of
1: of various. Absolutely. State. Yeah. They they had. Set great store by the old-fashioned values of loyalty, of
0: service, and all the rest of it. Yeah, they were an amazing bunch. Yeah. And Graham, just just to wrap up, we favourite aircraft: Hunter, Harrier, pretty much split fifty-fifty. What was the worst one you ever flew? What was an absolute pig? <laughs>
3: and if you uh, dare say a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: I, I think probably the worst one I ever flew was the. Um, Oh, was it the trainer? The, the little uh, Britain Norman...
0: Uh, not, not the Islander. What was it called? No. You no, no, no. It
1: was a turbo. It's in the back there. He's looking He's at looking
0: the back. It up
2: yeah. for you. The, it's a the, the the turboprop. Prop. Uh, the Tucano, the Pilatus, the Viscount. Not the Firecracker. Firecracker.
1: That's the one.
2: It was great fun.
1: It was great fun, but it was a bloody awful machine. Uh, I mean, it was... Talk about string and wires and all the rest of it. I mean, it was competing with the Tucano and the Pilatus PC-9. Yes. Which were very polished items. And then there was this little uh, firecracker. And it was a firecracker. (laughs) I mean, it went like... Went like hell. Uh, the thing that I remember about it absolutely was that you went into an upright spin, you see, mm. and you recovered from the upright spin, and it flicked immediately into an inverted <laughs> spin. Well, I don't know whether you've ever done inverted spin. Yes, but actually, James. I have. To a young, even to experienced pilot, it's confusing. Yeah, to a young lad, it would oh. have been <laughs> fatal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it just without warning, it mm. just went. Straight into this inverted spin, quite exciting. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, well, well, thank you for selecting the Tucano because it was that was a lot of fun to fly. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, you trained on that. Yes. Well,
1: everybody, everybody said that we should have done. The, we actually, I think, the PC9 won the competition, mm. but it was very little between the PC9 and Tucano. Mm. Uh, and I think the Tucano was chosen on political grounds. Mm.
0: Of course, made
1: it we North Island, to be it? nice Northern them mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, great!
0: South America. We've we've haven't done justice to your book. We, we couldn't possibly. I I'd urge people to buy it because it's just full of the most incredible stories. And we're so so thrilled that you've agreed to speak to us and and join us and tell us share us some of your stories.
1: It was enjoyable. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you James. so much. Thank James. you, advice Marshal
3: Sir. No, they've no, never let me talk to Air Vice Marshal before. <laughs> I've always been kept back. <laughs> There's a reason for that, James.
0: <laughs> this is top landing gear.